Welcome to episode 97 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast, your weekly Milwaukee Brewers podcast. I'm Steve Garshinsky. Joining me today is Ryan Topp from Boston. Yep. And then across the uh, table from me, we have J.R. Radcliffe. J.R., I had you down as the senior listicle reporter for JS Online, <laughs> but what's your actual title there? I am the trending sports reporter, although senior listicle reporter. If listicle weren't such an awkward word to say, I think I might be down with that as a good title. That's a, that's a great description of any, in any event of the job I do. Yeah, so uh, JR is here to help us out today, and we're actually going to kind of do a dual yes. pod. So crossover event? Yeah, it's a crossover episode. You'll hear some of the discussion that we have here today on the JS Brewers podcast. That's right, the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel Brewers podcast, which uh, which I do every week with Tom Hodricord or Todd Rosiak. Occasionally we have interviews, usually brewers or brewers-related personnel, but uh, thought I'd try something different this week. Do a little outside the box, talk to some people who uh, who are also following the brewers on a very high level like you guys are. Yeah, so that'll be fun, uh, and it'll give people more podcasts to check out and more Brewers content. It's so. true. It's true. I love this content. I yeah. love the podcast. Brewers podcast content. Yeah, so uh, you can search for that on what? Uh, oh, you can Apple find it podcast, on yeah, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podcast, Spotify the big three, and uh, you know, or just at jsonline.com. We post every episode, and the 104 of you that find it on jsonline.com can still find it there. There you go. And you know what? You can help fans find this podcast by rating and reviewing Milwaukee's Tailgate on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We want listener questions, so follow Milwaukee's Tailgate on Twitter at MKETailgate. Email questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or follow our Facebook page. You can also follow the three of us on Twitter, and you'll find that in our Milwaukee's Tailgate Twitter bio. And JR, what's your Twitter handle? Oh, that would be my name, at JR Radcliffe. That's J-R-R-A-D-C-L-I-F-F-E. So, and that's where you can get all the, the listicle content, all the new podcasts that come out, <laughs> everything. Historical looks back at great moments in Brewers or other Milwaukee, Wisconsin sports history. That's me, man. That's you know, I, 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 I'm giving you a hard time about it, but... Feel free. It's, but it's then fair I'll, game. But seriously, I'll, I'll see one of them pop up and I'll be like, but I'm going to read that. Yes. That's, sometimes I start those. It's like, oh, I really want to know what I find on this. I mean, sometimes it's not like I have the list in my head. I have to do the research and stuff and go back through the old journal archives and stuff. And uh, it, it's fun to do. It's fun to come up with a list. And frequently I find Sixto Lascano and put him on a list. That, that, that's cool. That's before my time. I learn a little bit. It's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. So. Did you know Steve was almost named Sixto? No. That, that was always the joke Sixto that, that my dad wanted to name me Cisco, uh, Sixto. Yeah. And that was vetoed by your mom, I take it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Exactly. Too bad. That uh-huh. is that's crushing. I mean, they could have gone with Steve as six zero Steven. Less, <laughs> I can't even Karczynski. And just you could have gone by your middle name. They could have done that. It could have. I I would have been for it, but eh, it didn't happen. Uh, maybe in another life. So uh, finally, if you'd like to support this podcast, you can visit patreon.com slash MKE tailgate. Our ball and glove patrons and above receive the monthly minor league extra podcast. Milwaukee's tailgate is sponsored by Carbon Four Brewing and their English style malt bombs and perfectly balanced hop grenades. You know them for the great beers like Dragon Flute, Block Party, and their flagship Fantasy Factory IPA. Out now as part of the summer series is Raspberry Fantasy Factory IPA, Idiot Farm Imperial IPA, and you can celebrate the 4th of July with cans of America AF Watermelon Kolsch. All are great for a hot summer day, so go check those out. Also get 20% off merch at the Carbon 4 web store with the promo code MKETailgate. As always, check out Carbon4.com for more information. Carbon 4 beer brilliance the brewers continued to struggle this week yes. that seems to be the story uh they dropped two or three to seattle um before dropping the first game of the pirate series and there ended up being quite the shakeup. but we'll, we'll kind of go through the seattle series a little bit first um zach davies had another rough start 
Ryan, I guess, what were your impressions of the Davies start? And is, are we starting to get to a point where there's a little bit more of a cause for concern? I mean, there's not much they can do about it if there is. I think they have to keep starting him for the foreseeable future. They just don't really have other options at this point. But I don't know. It, it seems like when Davies is bad, the balls tend to be more middle of the zone. And when he's not locating the pitches on the edges of the zone and getting, you know, early in the season, we saw a lot of those uh, Yasmani Grandal frame jobs from him. And when he's not getting those on, you know, something like a consistent basis, when it's when he's not hitting those edges, it's going to be bad. That's just part of the deal with him. And it's hard to know exactly how long that's going to last. I think you have to just kind of keep running him out there and hoping for the best, at least until there's some obvious better option out there. And there's just nowhere near that right now. So you just got to kind of ride it out. But it's not hard to see why it's happening. Those balls that were on the edges before are now more center cut and they're getting hammered. Okay, so JR, uh, hitters right now are batting 350, 389, 612 against Zach Davies in June. <laughs> so that's five starts at 24 innings. Yeah. They have 1,000 OPS. So they're almost Christian Yelich like at yes. the moment. Um, is. Is there a move that needs to be made with Davies, or is this just a case of you got to ride it out when he's having a bit of a rough stretch? Yeah, I I think I'm with Ryan on that. I, they don't. I mean, you could say the same thing about Chase Anderson, who's had a. I think his most recent start was pretty solid, but Yoli Shasin, like those guys aren't going anywhere. They don't have any. They don't have any options. I mean, they could mess around a little bit and see if they could stretch out Hauser. They could they could potentially see what they have with Zach Brown, but that requires a you know a, a roster move. Birch Smith maybe, but these guys aren't these aren't better options than what you have right now. I think the thing that scares me about Davies is the peripheral numbers are, are actually a little bit worse than his numbers were last year. Now, at this point, the only thing that's different is the ERA. I mean, it's still really respectable over the course of the season. It's 3-3-4. Last year, 4-7-7, but he's striking out fewer guys. He's walking more guys, giving up more hits. I mean, there's this is still the Zach Davies that we saw in past years, and and sometimes he's it's going to work. You know, you talked about the Grandolf frame jobs. That obviously is a boost when it's, when it's clicking, and, you know, there are going to be times where he misses just enough bats to to get through, uh, you know, get through and paint the corners and stuff. He gets a nice umpiring call, you know, call here or there. But I mean, I don't know. I don't. I feel like uh, I feel like we've we've certainly gravitated back toward the mean, and uh, and I'm worried there might actually be a little bit more before it's all said and done. Yeah. Uh, so the Brewers also experimented with uh, giving Adrian Hauser a start um, against Seattle. Uh, he gave up three runs in two innings. I don't think it's quite what fans were hoping for, considering how well Hauser's pitched out of the bullpen. Yeah, that, it was a bummer. I really thought he'd do really well. Um, and and you knew that I, I, this is one of those things you can't really measure. You just don't know how a guy's going to respond when he's a bullpen guy and then he's thrown into a starting spot and he knows he can only go so many innings and you don't know how that impacts things. And uh, he's still... Hauser still walks probably too many guys and he's he, he, you can understand why someone would say well he's going so well in the bullpen why would you take him out of that why not try Aaron Wilkerson who's been starting at AAA uh, I liked the move I thought it would be you know especially stacked with Freddie Peralta I thought that made a lot of sense it didn't it didn't work out exactly how they would have liked it I think they probably I mean I like that they committed to giving him at least one more try and see I mean this is a guy who you know was he was a starter with the Astros so it's you know possible that he could still reclaim that um yeah, I don't. I don't really. I, I think it's just. 
I'm, I'm very curious on the second one because the first one you can you can use the the rhetoric of well we don't he doesn't know what the what the role was going to be like or you know he knew he was on a pitch count things like that and the second start I think is where you really start to make decisions about whether this can be a long term thing yeah and Ryan you're a fan of Hauser out of the bullpen so how long do you think the leash is for him as a starter before they just say well we'd rather have closer to elite performance out of the bullpen than kind of experimenting with a you know maybe a, a number three type starter if he kind of hits his peak yeah i mean they do like him as a starter long term but i still think for this year it makes the most sense to try to stick with what has really worked out of the bullpen and has looked really good and we'll see i think that the the thing that's missing in this is freddie peralta has been better than I think people realize. And I think especially Freddie Peralta has not, I've, I've been putting this on Twitter quite a bit. Freddie Peralta has not walked batters this year the way he did in the past. His walk rate is second on the team now uh, behind Brandon Woodruff. And that's any pitcher. Man. He has a 2.6 walks per nine. And he's not really putting guys on base that way. In June, he has a 26 to three strikeout to walk ratio. Uh, he's also given up some hits, more kind of, uncharacteristic for him he's been a little bit more hit heavy and has given up some home runs but i think we're going to see him back in the rotation before too long well that was going to be my next question is move peralta follows hauser and he throws four scoreless so i mean is there just a case to be made that i don't know peralta's got has more time as a starter they need to just give him the time to be that guy since we kind of know when he's on what he can do and how effective that can be well, and they may decide to tandem them for a while and just say, hey, Hauser's going to start. He's going to go as deep as makes sense for him to go. And then Peralta is going to come in, you know, on those days and kind of clean up after that. And we could see how that ends up working. They've not been adverse to doing those sorts of things in the past. And it, you know, Hauser probably even pitched in that sort of a system in Houston because Houston was doing the piggyback thing uh before they even got good, you know, a few years back before uh, Hauser came over. So he's probably even used to that. It's it's not going to be like a stretch. We'll see if they decide to do that. But it, there's a certain case to be made that that would make sense. Well, JR, have you talked, you know, you talk to uh, Tom Hardicart, Todd mm-hmm. Rosiak every week. Yeah. Um, do they have any opinions on kind of like what the club's view of Peralta's role is going forward? Because, again, he's kind of in limbo at the moment. Yeah, I've, I mean, the, the thing you hear is he's just not going to he's not going to be able to make it in any role unless he develops something other than his fastball. So I think that's that's still a work in progress. I I, I think right now I, I think they legitimately don't know I, because because we've seen him in starting roles where he, he just can't get deep into the game. He can't get out of the first inning. You know, you could throw out a few narratives with him. And then you do see him in these this four inning relief role. Or I still go back to like the second start of the year when he just crushed people. We've seen him have very dominant starts. And, you know, in a way, it's a little like Corbin Burns, where the the you wonder how he can go from that outing to the next one where he gives up seven runs in three innings and you just don't understand what, what the difference is and if people are just how they're seeing the fastball so differently from one day to the next. I think if they can develop a secondary pitch of any kind, he's going to be, they're going to give him every chance to start. He's still what, he's still 22 years old, right? Or t- is he 23? I think he's, he's 21. He doesn't turn 22 oh, for a couple weeks. Like it's just crazy to me that he is on this big league roster. Like they could, they have every, they have every excuse to send him down. He's young. He has struggled. They're not sure what the role is. I mean, that's like a text case of give him more time in AAA, but they are refusing to do that. And that tells me that they love him, that they're absolutely going to see him. I don't, I don't think, 
And since he's not like in a high leverage relief role, I think you have to assume they're they he is here because they think he can be a starter or at least, you know, you know, I don't know, maybe maybe like a tandem guy. They've got 13 pitchers. They can afford to do the tandem thing for a little while. But I think their faith in them is just is demonstrated by him still being on the roster. Yeah. So we have a question from Jay Google and he asks, uh, does the pitching problem uh, do the pitching problems fall on Stearns hook a new ball issue the players or is it just all of the above uh, did Stearns overestimate what he had and should he have made a move earlier with Nelson's spring training issue and the bullpen injuries. Well I mean they did go and make a move for Gio Gonzalez really quickly right. Like they went and got him when he became available after the Yankees let him go and after they kind of saw what the the early season thing looked like. And I think that that gets overlooked, especially because Gio hasn't been on the roster lately. So that gets missed a little bit that like they did make this move already. And who knows, maybe if Gio wasn't there, maybe they would have taken a longer look at Dallas Keuchel. Perhaps we, we don't know, but. I think that they already have made some adjustments on the fly to their plan. So I don't think you can necessarily say, yeah, it would have been nice that they, if they'd had Wade Miley on the roster, that certainly would be pretty helpful right now. But I don't think it's, it's a huge indictment of them that they came into the season where they were. I find if it that in- makes sense. I find it interesting when you look at the beginning of the year, those three rookie guys, or not rookie guys, but three, young, you know, quote unquote young guys. You know, Brandon Woodruff and Zach Davies are like days apart, but the three young guys, Brandon Woodruff, uh, Freddie Peralta, Corbin Burns. I don't know if I remember this quite right, but I would have picked Brandon Woodruff third of the three to click to most be the, the guy who clicks this year. And he's been awesome. Obviously, he's the, the ace of the staff at this point. So I think if you if you say we, we've got three young, promising pitchers, we want one of them to transform it. We, we want them to be the leaders of our starting rotation. Maybe one of them transform into an ace. And you get that. You got to feel happy about that. And I still, I'm shocked that Corbin Burns hasn't worked out. I think a lot of people are. I, I'm kind of surprised that Freddie Peralta, I, I'm less surprised with Freddie Peralta, but I, I still think there's a lot there. So I, I really just, I agree with what David Stearns did. It made sense to me. Wade Miley, I, you know, yeah, they could have brought him back, but I get on that price point why they decided. We got we got guys who can do what he did, you know, or at least we think we do. I still think that makes a lot of sense. And if you get one of those three guys into a star, if Brandon Woodruff actually becomes a star, then then he was smart to have that much faith in the young pitching. I just don't think anybody foresaw Corbin Burns just being completely, you know, erratic, just being completely unpredictable. And uh, I think if he were what we thought he'd be, they'd be in really good shape. Well, and I don't think it it, it hasn't helped also that Geo goes on the IL with the dead arm. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Chassin had some issues being effective early on, and then he goes on the IL as well. Because I think if you had uh, Chassin just being solid, I'm not saying he had to be like what he was at the end of last season, combined with the way Davies started early in the season, Burns emerging, and then just kind of Geo solidifying the rotation, you'd have four guys that you'd at least have confidence from start to start that they're going to keep you in a game. You know, so to take two guys out and Davies also fall off kind of at the same time, I think created a little bit of this issue because otherwise, like you said, if you if you take those three young guys and you say, here's what one of them will turn into, and that's what Woodruff is currently doing, I think everybody would take it. Mm-hmm. Everyone would take it if you said one of those guys emerged as a legitimate, I mean, what we call Woodruff a, a number three starter right now? Oh, no, he's pitching better than a number you three. You think it's he's even pitching, better than that at the moment? Yeah, he's pitching like a number two, 
number well, one ish. Sure, from, sort of depends from, how you define these things. But. From from start to start, right now, yes, he can be that. But overall, I mean, I would say he's probably like a three with what his season performance has been to this point. Yeah, because he did go off to a little bit of a slow start, and he can still give you some. He can still give you some clunkers. I mean, even. Uh, the the Saturday game, he I think he kind of made everybody nervous by putting a lot of guys on. He gave up a run early, and then he settled in and pitched you know six and a third innings after that, where he didn't get hit after that first inning. So um, again, there's still a little bit of volatility there, but I think overall, you, you have to be happy with that aspect, with how how Brandon Woodruff has uh, taken that step forward so far. So after the Seattle series, we had our big shakeup. That's that was the day of reckoning. Would we would we call it that? Was it Judgment uh, Day? Yes, I, yes, it's Judgment Day. It was Judgment Day. Uh, Travis Shaw was options AAA, um, and he didn't have the ability to block that. Some of the some of the other players have, like Jimmy Nelson. We talked about has the ability to block being demoted to AAA like that. Jimmy Nelson got put on the I, IL, and then surprising, the most surprising move for the guys that got cut was probably uh, Hernan Perez getting DFA'd. That was surprising. I actually thought that's what they were going to do. And not because I have any insight. I just, it, to me, at some point, it made sense. I didn't think it was going to look like that. I thought they'd bring up Dubon uh, along with Hira because you obviously need that backup shortstop. And then I thought, um, I thought that they would, they would use a pitcher as the other guy to send down. And that's tough to do right now with the way the starters have gone. So I understand why that was not really an obvious option. But that was what I suspected might happen. Um, Tyler Saladino makes even more sense because he's been raking at AAA. I mean, he hasn't had success at the big league level to, you know, to this point, but um, he can play third base. So if you're going to send Travis Shaw down, which of course is what they did, you've got a backup third baseman. And at this point, a starting shortstop? That I didn't see coming at all, that they might split time with Orlando Arcia. Uh, kind of surprising to hear their, uh, the comments from Craig Council that they're frustrated with his defense a little bit. Um, I, guess the, I guess it makes some sense. I just I didn't think that was coming. So, uh, so yeah, a, a move that I'm sure is uh, is disappointing on some level for for the players because Perez is kind of known as that clubhouse guy and a fun guy and he is you know he has versatility the buzzword with him is versatility the thing is I think his offense has just not been good enough especially since Kisten here got demoted ironically enough he's just slumped some something terrible and uh, I don't think they have enough to say to justify defensively you know there isn't enough there to say wow you just can't live without him defensively yeah you, you could, can you could play Perez at a bunch of positions yes. nobody would say Perez excels at many of those spots but uh, so after all those moves uh Keston Hira is recalled so everybody rejoiced yes. uh yeah Saladino was <laughs> the surprise um I don't think people expected him to get the call but you know last year they kind of played the game where they they you know played a hot shortstop for a while mm -hmm. when Arcia was sent down and they cycled through a bunch of guys, played them when they're hot, kind of got rid of them when they... And Saladino got hurt. Imagine, we don't know what would have happened if yeah, he had exactly. He was red hot. Yeah, and then Corbin Burns was recalled. Um, so the interesting thing with Hernan Perez, he was batting 257, 291, 432 against lefties. Since the Padre series, you know, they, they hit that string of lefties when they went out to the West Coast and Perez got a lot more playing time. He hit 107, 133, 143. Did that, Ryan, do you think that kind of sealed it for him? Like, okay, here's the moment where we need you to step up, and he just completely collapsed. Yeah, I mean, if he's not going to mash against lefties, or at least, you know, like, carry his own weight against lefties, there's not much of a use for him offensively. And then it's just about the fact he's defensively versatile. And like you said, he's not an outstanding defender at any position. 
other than you know maybe the corner outfield so maybe left field which is fine which congrats which congrats yeah um but he's not an outstanding defender at all those infield positions he could just play them so it did make sense to go with Saladino and as uh it was pointed out to me on Twitter and I'm sorry I can't remember offhand who it was uh basically said well they're you know Saladino also has the advantage of you're not worried about trying to get him consistent at bats he's a little bit older has a little bit more experience well he has a major league experience where you know Mauricio Dubon does not so that makes sense from that perspective that they were just willing to bring in a guy who had some experience and if he sits three four five days a week they're not necessarily going to worry about that you know he can come in he can have his pinch hit appearances and that's fine so from that perspective it made sense but yeah it was surprising i think we all just assumed dubon was coming up until they said no it was going to be saladino so yeah so we have a patreon question from paul noonan he asks is orlando arcia secretly bad at defense like the team seems to think this strikes me as preposterous, but then again, they're not turning balls in play into outs like last year. Yeah, I don't so, I don't know, man. Go ahead, Ryan. Yeah, so the the thing that I looked at with this, baseball prospectuses, FRAA, so fielding runs above average, Fra. Uh, was always the, the metric that was the highest on uh, Arcia. In 2017, they had him at 6.8 in 153 games. Last year, basically about the same rate, He had a 3.8 fielding runs above average over 119 games. So, yeah, lower number, but he also had less playing time, so you'd expect that. Uh, This year, he is now negative 2.1. And so my guess is there's something they're picking up on here that has happened with him defensively that is not the same as it was. And I couldn't even begin to try to tell you what that is. Uh, I know he's he's had some issues with easier plays this year, but he's always had that. I mean, well, I was going to say, I think that's part of the issue is we have come to accept like, okay, Orlando Garcia won't make some plays that we would hope that he'd make. It kind of happens on occasion. But as long as he makes some of those tougher plays and makes up for it, like, yeah, but that's the stuff that you can't always tell because then you go, that was a hard play. How do you how do you justify making those? And anecdotally, which is a terrible way to look at defense, but like anecdotally, we haven't seen that this year. We haven't seen those spectacular, holy smokes, Orlando Arcia just made that play. We did see a lot of them last year, but this year there've been one or two, of course. Like there's the flip that Mike Mustakis made, the spin, you know, the spin out, but that was as much Mustakis as it was Arcia. You haven't you haven't seen it this year. It's just it's just interesting. Sometimes that's opportunities, you know. Sometimes those plays just aren't there. But but um, apparently the club has the numbers to yeah. you know bear it out that Arcia is not getting the job done. Um, Darren Jones on Patreon asks, uh, were you surprised by council comments regarding Arcia underperforming defensively? And where do they go from here? Do you think shortstop is actually going to be a timeshare throughout the second half of the season? I was because the way I, I really like Craig Council, his his media managering managerial style. Uh, I like that he 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 gives you information that is is good information without without obviously crossing a line, stepping, you know, throwing players under the bus, whatever whatever terminology you want to use. And he will, you know, he'll stand up for guys, even though, you know, even even though Travis Shaw has really struggled, he's kind of kept the company line. Well, you know, we're trying to get them going and he acknowledges that he's struggling, but he says all he says all the all the things that you'd expect a manager to say to back his guy to a degree. We there hasn't been a narrative clamoring for Orlando Arcia's defense. There hasn't really been an extended analysis of how that's gone this year. No one has asked questions about how his defense is. So Craig Council is essentially 
I mean, not essentially, he's not actually volunteering this, but in the discussion, he's saying, yeah, this defense isn't good enough. That's stunning because that's something he could have gotten away without saying. So that's either they're trying to send him a message or they, you know, for some reason he feels like that is info that needs to be shared. Usually you just don't get that with, with him or any manager. You don't get that volunteered storyline. So uh, he could have gotten away without saying it and didn't. So there's, there's clearly some reason they want that out there. Yeah, that was surprising to me. I usually am skeptical when people hear things uh, in managerial comments that it's going to amount to anything. And then I listened to them myself and I said, oh, he's actually really saying something here of substance. And yeah, it the fact that he didn't have to do it and volunteered it anyway says to me that they are concerned. But also, I think that if it if they didn't think Orlando could do something about it, I don't think Craig would have said something. So if they didn't think that Orlando, if there weren't things he could work on or efforts he could make to remedy this and make it better, I think he would have handled it differently. So to me, it, what it says is they wanted to send some sort of a message to him that, hey, there's some things that need to be done here a little bit differently. And to get you back to where you were as a plus defensive shortstop in the past. So I think that it's very likely that they still think there's something recoverable here and that it's not necessarily like the end of the road for him being a good defender uh, because otherwise there just wouldn't be any point to saying it in my mind. Yeah. So we're kind of getting to the point of the season where people are asking about trades, um, you know, and we were discussing the fact that it was a little bit of a surprise that Saladino was called up before Mauricio Dubon. Uh, we have a question from Derek Kaur. Uh What's the thought on having Dubon as part of a trade for pitching, given the lack of a true shortstop backup for Arcia? Uh, should an injury or the bat go bad, or apparently the glove go bad uh, this season? I still really like Dubon as a piece for this team. I, and I don't, I mean, it's I, Dubon himself is not going to get you a difference-making pitcher, so he would have to be part of a bigger package. And he's also... It's it's just interesting that the team hasn't had a chance to get him to the big league level yet. Like they've had so much trouble with their middle infield, and yet Mauricio Dubon, who is playing well or ha- last check anyway, was playing great in AAA, and and certainly was on the cusp of being called up last year before his injury. Like he just has somehow not gotten that chance yet. So I still think the Brewers are going to find a really good use for him. And and like I said, I thought he was going to get called up here in this situation. I think he has more value to the Brewers than he probably does in a trade, just because. I mean, I, I just don't I don't know if that I don't know what else you add with him that's going to get you a difference making pitcher. I don't think he needs a change of scenery or anything like I think he's he's good. And I think the Brewers have belief that he could he could contribute this year. So I uh, I I don't I don't imagine he's going to be part of the trade, but or part of any trade. But, uh, you know, I've been wrong about that stuff. Before. Is yeah. Is Dubon going to be too important to hold on to for depth for them to be able to consider shopping him, Ryan? I don't know. I'm I think that. If he was that good, if they had that high an opinion of him, he probably already would have been up at some point. And I know we probably were going to see him last year before the injury happened. So I I just lean towards the idea that I, I've always thought that he seems like more of a second division starter than the kind of guy you'd want starting on a daily basis for a contender and as, as sort of a ceiling for him. So I'm not sure. And guys definitely they do exceed expectations all the time and and do better than that but there's you know sort of a a limitation of the power there that makes me wonder 
exactly how high his ceiling would be in terms of being an everyday player. Um, but then it all comes down to if some team really likes him, if some team really covets him and says, this is a guy we want, I wouldn't be adverse to doing that, but it would need to be part of a deal for a significant player. And that would be for this team this year, that would need to be a starting pitcher. You know, if you could build some sort of a deal around him for, I don't know, a Mike Miner or something, that could get me interested and and make me say, yeah, there's there's interest there. But if you're talking about just adding, like, starting depth, uh, Dubon isn't a guy I'd want to have that. It would need to be somebody who's of potential impact. He's going to be 25, too, in a, f- in a couple weeks here. So not, not to disparage the guy. Obviously, that's young enough to make a contribution. But that's not a prospect on the rise. You know, that's a guy who you kind of know what you got, you're going to get there. Yeah, well, and the... the- ACL injury last year it was ACL, correct? Yeah, yeah. You know that yeah. that obviously changed the timeline for him a little bit. So uh, he's kind of an interesting situation. Uh, other injury news again: Jimmy Nelson goes on the IL. Uh, he's been battling elbow and forearm discom- discomfort, and that's been since this spring. Um, Stern said that it actually looked worse during the throwing session before Thursday game. Thursday's game, and that's when they decided they had to make that move. Yeah. I mean, do we think? Did it look worse to the front office because of how he was also pitching yes. currently? I mean, it, it, was there a little bit of a, well, you have a little bit of discomfort. You're kind of overcompensating for your shoulder, and we just need to shut you down for a little bit. Yeah, I think the answer is probably yes. I, I think you come back from that injury, there's going to be discomfort. Like, everything is going to be, you're either relearning it or, I, I don't, it's it's obviously very fishy when, a guy who's been followed that closely, his rehab has been followed that closely, and all of a sudden there's an issue that's been, you know, lingering on top of it, and just now it's a DL or an IL thing. Um, yeah, I, I th- I'm sure he's been dealing with something for a while. I don't know if that's directly related to the results. It's it's impossible to know, but uh, but the timing the timing is obviously it obviously feels like well we'll we'll at least give you a chance to reset, figure out what's going on, rest for a little bit, and maybe maybe you know two months from now. I don't know if it's going to be that long, but that would be my guess that this is going to be a prolonged thing to a degree to get him reset and try to see if he can regain whatever it was that he's lost. Ryan, what do you think Nelson's contributions are going to be for the rest of the season? Minimal. It's going to be minimal. Um, I do think we will probably see him again, but in terms of being an effective contributing member of the team, I, I'm not really expecting to see it, especially after this latest injury, which is really too bad. I've been the biggest Jimmy Nelson honk um, and was really, really thrilled to have him back and made a point to make sure I went to that game when he came back. And it's just not there yet. And We'll see if it ever is there again. I, I think that's obviously an open question at this point, but it's mostly just it's sad and it's unfortunate, and it's an indictment of not having the designated hitter in the uh, <laughs> the National League. So I know we have a question about that. So there's your transition, Steve. Oh, you want to do that one? Uh, we have a Patreon yeah. question from PB Brew Crew. How much would having the DH in the NL change the current roster crunch happening for the Brewers? I have to think about that. I think it, I mean, Eric Thames is such an obvious DL or uh, DL, DH guy. So uh, they have a DH. They have a couple guys, several guys who could DH Ryan Braun, of course, Jesus Aguilar. So uh, they got those guys. They would probably just, uh, you know, they would probably not have to have one more pitcher. They'd probably, they certainly wouldn't keep 13. So. Well, and clearly Ryan just wants to use the time machine to go back 
yes. place the DH in the NL and then never have Jimmy Nelson swing a bat. <laughs> yes, yeah. the time machine is up and running, and that is what I plan on doing with it. Um, hey, uh, so we talk about this every episode. I just want to make sure to get it in now that we have like some numbers to talk about. But Kesson here is back up. Hey, Kesson here is back up. How excited is everyone to see <laughs> Kesson Hira back on this roster? Are we talking about the three of us? We're talking about Brewers fandom at large. I think at large. So, I mean, a part of so what this excited. is going to do, part of what it'll do is it'll stop, like, the the hashtags trending for, uh, you know, justice for Keston. Is or that whatever. what it was? I didn't no, even know it was no, 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 free Keston Hira. I'm making that up at the oh, moment. Okay. But, you know, everybody wanted Hira back up. Um are we expecting a jolt to this lineup? Because, I mean, he came up and he hit when he was up, but it, it took him a few games to get going. And, you know, he wasn't a high on-base guy. It seemed like he found his power before he found his his batting eye to just take bases. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And, and you look at those peripherals and think, well, eventually pitchers are going to get a bigger book on him because they'll have more data to work with and that he probably will struggle a little bit. No projection saw Kesson here was going to be close to, like, all-star level this year. He's not an all-star level second baseman yet, so... Uh, so the concern would be four weeks from now and Keston Hira is just okay and everyone re- what do, what do, where do people freak out about at that point when there's no roster move to be made to to get uh, I guess they start clamoring for Travis Shaw to come back and uh, <laughs> I, I don't that think that's happening anytime soon. That may be an overstatement there. Um, I, I do think you know they they just don't have right-handed power, right-handed hitting right now. You know we've seen Aguilar struggle, we've seen Braun struggle to a degree, and he's only you know he's only able to play so many games and. They need a right-handed bat in there, and so I, I I'm curious about the t- not the timing. I mean, the timing makes sense, but they went into that San Diego series knowing they were going to face three lefties, and then the Mariners are two series away at that point. They have a rotation, I think, of four lefties out of five, and they they do the opener thing, so it's not so cut and dried as that. But they were going to face lefties there too, and they didn't make the move then, and they they could have. And even if you argue Super Two is in the equation, which I know a lot of people like to do, and I personally don't think it is, but even if you argue that, there's still time to send him down later if you if you want to. I mean, you could even do it through the All Star break and and a couple weeks thereafter. So I'm I'm I guess it was just a point where they didn't they were, didn't know yet that they were ready to move on from Hernan Perez or that they still wanted to give Travis Shaw opportunities, even though they didn't those opportunities didn't really come because he never batted. <laughs> you know, he was he was not playing against those left handed pitchers. So I, I think that's interesting. I just I. I I'm just I I feel like they needed that right-handed bat, and even if it's even if it takes them a little while to get going, they got they got to have those right-handed bats in the lineup. Hey Ryan, do you think that calling up Hero required uh, basically a shortstop they were more confident in if uh, Arcia's bat or sorry Arcia's glove was struggling at the moment because <laughs> Keston here is not a great second baseman. No, but he's playable. I've actually been more impressed than I thought I was going to be watching him in the field. I think he gets to a lot of balls. I think he has a decent range there and the arm is fine. It's, it's not an exceptional arm. It's definitely not anything you'd want on the other side of the infield, but for how they use second base and, and what they expect out of it, it's a fine arm. So that's not really a concern for me. I do wonder, we'll see how the strikeout rate progresses for him because he has been a guy who didn't strike out as much in the past and has struck out more both at AAA and the big league level this year. And I think that's going to be what we want to watch to see what's going on for him because the amount he swings and misses is going to be telling for what we're looking at for him. Well, but he's also added quite a bit of power. 
he has added power and that's and it's part of the was it yeah who was it this week somebody had it was like 538 or somebody said you know with more power in the game you're going to get more strikeouts it was basically the the thesis of the sure. article that they wrote so i mean you know, when his... he's adjusted to take advantage of that as well, and he's playing both at the AAA level and at the big league level with the major league ball this year, so he's able to access that extra power by virtue of the, the baseball itself. And so, I don't know. He's a smart guy, and he is. They there was talk about him as being like you know a baseball nerd and uh, the kind of guy who goes and hangs out at at ballparks just because he likes to be there uh, even in like college games in February randomly. So he uh, he's going to make adjustments and he's going to figure out things uh, eventually. But the question is what it looks like for the rest of this year, because that's what we really care about. And that's why there was all this pressure to get him up now was, well, we need him because he can hit now and Shaw wasn't hitting now. So we need him on the roster. Well, what that's going to look like, uh, it remains to be seen. And he still is going to have to make adjustments to big league pitching, and big league pitching is going to be making adjustments to him. So to think it's going to be a smooth ride from him uh, for here to the rest of the season, I wouldn't anticipate that. I would anticipate there will be times of struggle, and he's going to have to figure out how to do that. Now, I think he's going to eventually get that stuff figured out and be a well above average big league hitter, but is he all going to be this year and, and what that's going to be remains to be seen. Do you think everybody will be able to hold it together if he's not a superstar? I, I mean, if we're talking, no, if it's fans, they will not be able to hold it together. I love the fans, but like people can't hold it together no matter what. I think, uh, I, I don't know. There isn't, I think there's now a feeling the Brewers are doing everything they can. That was sort of the, the big problem. Like they have this guy who can hit and they need him to, they know he's going to be part of the picture in 2020 and beyond. And he apparently from what we saw earlier this year, he's ready in 2019, at least to a degree. So why are they not going to that guy when there are guys who are struggling uh, to the degree that Travis Shaw and Jesus Aguilar in particular were. So I, I think that for the most part now, it feels like the Brewers are doing everything they can. And if it doesn't work out, I mean, it doesn't work out, but you know, there's still so much time, and I don't even mean in the season. Like the Cubs are not good this year; they're they're right where the Brewers are. The Brewers are still a game out of first place. The Cardinals have not kicked it into gear. The Reds and the Pirates are still spinning their wheels a little bit. I mean, there's still so much opportunity for the Brewers to get into the playoffs and win the division. And so, there every day that they weren't putting their best 25 out there is a day that you know, this is from a fan's perspective. I completely understand why Keston Hero wasn't to this to the big league team yet, but. Um, Every day that was happening was a, was a day that they were losing an opportunity. So they are still in position to do great things this year. And now, uh, and hopefully, you know, hopefully you see Keston here will have a quick learning curve and he winds up, you know, really contributing. Yeah. The Cubs are really missing out on their opportunity to totally. take control of this division. So, I mean, that's been the one saving grace of the, the stretch for the Brewers is that, I mean, I, you know, I think there was a little bit of thought that, you know, the Cardinals could struggle. You know, their rotation was a little shaky as well. But to see the Cubs struggle like this, you know, especially after that, uh, the baseball prospectus projections came out early in the season yeah. and they just lost their shit completely <laughs> over that. 
So to see them not basically take advantage of it right now, when they could, you know, definitely uh, take control of the division, the division, it's, uh, I guess, amusing to see. So, anyways, we have a Patreon question from Tyler Melso. Yes, is there anyone on the current roster you think is likely to get traded? Seems like Thames is playing too well to consider trading him at this point, especially with Aguilar still struggling. Would Aguilar have enough value to make him worth trading? I don't think so. I think they could use him as part of a trade if they, if, but. It, there's there's no one on the big league roster that I think they can truly afford to to really part with in a trade. Maybe along the fringes, you know, maybe you know, maybe if somebody wants Aaron Wilkerson, if they're looking for a starter, as like a third piece of a trade or something. But I, if they make a deal, it's going to come from their from their minor league depth. It's probably you're probably looking at Bryce Terang. You're looking at some of the upper level guys. I don't know if Corey Ray, given his injury problems this year, if he's a dealable you know dealable trade chip. But it's those are the guys that are going to fetch you something in return. I mean, we, we saw them get pretty creative with the big league roster last year with, you know, having Scope, Moustakis, and Shaw. So it's not like you can you can trust a traditional framework to let you know exactly what the Brewers are going to do post-trade deadline. But uh, I just don't think there's anybody on the roster that they can say, well, well we'd, we would part with this guy if it means bringing back a big leaguer in return. Yeah, I mean, I think you're looking at a, you know, Aguilar as a second or third piece in a deal is potentially something that could happen. But beyond that, I guess it would probably be one of the young pitchers, right? Like if somebody said we really would like to get. Well, uh, I mean, we, we've talked a lot of times about how and JP has brought this up that, you know, Aguilar is a right handed power bat at first base is something that you can basically find on waivers. So I don't know yeah. how him even being tacked on in a deal is something that's yeah i think i mean they could tack him on if somebody decided they wanted him but it doesn't seem like that would be a piece that would even push a deal over the top to get it done yeah no probably not because there's a decent chance he'd get released anyway right so exactly yeah i i mean so really then beyond the aguilar as maybe a throw-in it's one of the young pitchers right so it's corbin burns it's uh, Freddie Peralta, if some team said, hey, we really like that guy and we need to get back a good, close pitching prospect, somebody who's, you know, even has some experience in the big leagues already, then maybe a team would decide to to try to build around one of those. Though, even then, if we're talking about a true impact starter, uh, your Trevor Bowers or uh, I guess it would really basically just be kind of Trevor Bauer. Uh I don't know that that's definitely not the first piece in a deal. Corbin Burns or Freddie Peralta is not the first piece in a deal, unless it's like a, a four-piece deal where all the pieces are pretty appetizing. And when you factor so, in Freddie Peralta's youth, he's still a, basically a prospect. I mean, 22 years old, except with big league experience, with, with credible big league experience. So you're not gonna, why would you take a risk on getting a 23-year-old prospect if you had to give up your 22-year-old? You know, that doesn't make any sense. And Burns, the way he's pitched... He, you're just going to have to take a discount. And that seems preposterous when they consider that he could be a starter down the line. That just seems ridiculous. And he's had success. Uh, totally, yeah. So it's not like Corbin Burns came up through the minors. We were thinking, oh, he can be a, a good pitcher in the major league level. And we never saw it. Like, we saw him be a very effective pitcher out of the bullpen at a minimum. So, And we see it this year from time to time where he just absolutely dominates the lineup. And then... He has a massive blow up. So, 
Yeah. So we have a question from Dan Larson. Uh, he asked, who would you guys target in the starting pitching market? Uh, what about bullpen options? It seems to me that we need at least one starting pitcher, if not two, plus two bullpen <laughs> arms. So apparently he wants to go out there and buy half a pitching staff. <laughs> yeah, that, it, there, weren't, there won't be four arms coming to Milwaukee. If they, if they sign a starting or if they trade for a starting pitcher, it's not. It's not going to be. It's certainly not going to be a sexy name. It's not. You know, they're not going to go after Madison Bumgarner unless they feel like they can give up just virtually next to nothing. And I'm so fascinated to know what the trade deadline change does to the trade deadline because you're going to have teams that have to make decisions sooner than they're used to doing in the past as far as whether or not they're they're in or out. And I don't know. I don't think teams are going to think they're out. I don't think the Cincinnati Reds are going to get to July 31st six games out of first and think, you know, with our run differential that we're out of it. I think they're going to they're gonna press the gas. They're not going to be giving people up. And I, I feel like that's the same across the board except for maybe three or four teams out there. So I don't know what's even available. I don't know if there's going to be a, a wealth of guys available and it's going to drive the price up for those who are. Will Smith is going to fetch a huge prospect haul in return. Not, you know, the Brewers aren't going to go out and try to get a guy like Will Smith, elite reliever as he is, and give up Bryce Terang for that. Like, that's not going to happen. So... I don't know. I, I really wonder if the Brewers are going to be involved at all in the in the trade deadline outside of like a fringe guy or two. It's 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 just really interesting without that August 31st deadline this year. Well, I think they're definitely going to add pieces. The question, like you said, is how impactful they're going to be. And I don't know. I think that they will add probably an impact reliever. I think that that is sort of a definite need for the team where they because of the loss of Corey Knebel, because of the fact that Jeremy Jeffress hasn't been what he was last year, they definitely could use that guy at the end of the bullpen. And they may look at it as having an added bonus of being able to free Josh Hader to use him a little bit more like they did last year, a little bit earlier in games. If they could get a Kirby Yates or a Will Smith, who would be their designated closer, their ninth inning guy, and let Hader move around a little bit more, assuming Hader's still good with that and that's still something he's okay with, which I think it would be, uh, then that could have like an impact cascading effect on the roster and on the bullpen as a whole. So I do think we're going to see that. The question is, and like you said, I don't think they'd give up Bryce Terang to get uh, a Kirby Yates to get a Will Smith. So, well, I guess so. The question is, what are the pieces that they probably would legitimately shop to try to uh, bring in at least an elite relief pitcher back to this team? I mean, I do think that Brown would be an option, though he's had kind of a, you know, a, a mediocre to you know not great year in AAA this year. I think that Dubon would be a piece that they could look at, and we would see if some of these ascending guys that we were talking about last week with uh, with uh, Anderson when he brought up the fact that, you know, they have guys like Mario Feliciano. They have Aaron Ashby, who is an ascending starting pitching prospect right now. Yeah, there's a trade They have some guys like that. Aaron Ashby, right? I mean, Brewers fans are going to want to part with that guy, but he's a guy. He's an up-and-coming prospect. He's a trade chip. And there's some younger guys, too. Eduardo Garcia. If you're if a team wants to take a deep dive and go after a guy who has big time upside but is a long ways away, um, Eduardo Garcia is a guy that could be looked at there too. So, well, what about I mean, Trent, Gr- Trent Grisham? Is a guy who was a first round draft pick and he took some time to figure it out as a pro. He's kind of changed his game a little bit, and this year he's really shown a lot more power than he ever had in the past. I think more than 
he was even projected to show when he was originally drafted. No, that was always the thing was, would he ever develop the power to well, be Well, the question was, would he? Does. I don't think anybody looked at his swing and thought he would. Right. Uh, and so we kind of have to wait and see. I know that Keith Law in his chat, not last week, but the week before, mentioned that he sees Grisham as a potential uh, everyday starter at this point and, you know, potentially a good one. So uh, everybody was kind of waiting for that last piece to click into place. And it didn't look for the longest time like it was going to, like he was ever going to decide, hey, there are certain pitches early in counts that I need to attack. And since he's done that this year and started hitting for power, it's it's a very different profile because he's always had extreme patience, probably passivity in the past where he wasn't attacking pitches he should have attacked. And now it's he, he not only has a, a huge walk rate, his walk rate is almost identical to his uh, uh, strikeout rate, which in this day and age, you just don't see that. Like that's Williams Astadio stuff. Like yeah, it's, it's still it's only... really rare. And he's still only 22, you know, like he could definitely he's 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 not just a guy who's aging and doing hitting well in AAA like he's he's a prospect still. So he's fascinating. Yeah, he really is fascinating. But the question is, how much does a team want to buy in on half a season of a breakout? Right. Mm -hmm. How much do they want to put stock in that and say, yeah, this guy's like a legit centerpiece? Because if you look, MLB.com does a a MLB pipeline does a, a ranking. They moved him back into their top 30, but they had dropped him out of the Brewers top 30 and they moved him back in recently and put him at 30. So he was off the prospect radar. I think last year, a lot of people had just given up on him. And now with this emergence and with what scouts are seeing that it, it looks pretty legit, there's, there's a change of opinion, but how much do teams want to value that is the question. So what could you get for him? Yeah, I mean, do they sell high on him right now, or do they say, here's our Ryan Braun replacement in a couple seasons? Or, yeah, as soon as maybe later this year to start getting, you know, a call-up? Who knows? It's Is it's he on the 40-man? Is he on the 40-man roster? He is not, no. Okay. No, no, no. They, but they, they'd have to make space for him on the 40-man if they wanted to actually get Major League time for him. If they wanted to get major league time for him, yes, they would have to. And he is a guy who will have to go on the 40-man roster after this season. Okay, I was going to say it had to be coming up pretty five. soon. Okay. Yeah, so it would it would be this year. And obviously, at this point, that's a no-brainer. Yeah. He's going on the 40-man. So uh, that, would, that would definitely happen. But eh, we'll have to see. We'll have to see. Um, we have a question from Brian Luzak. He asks, uh, why DFA Perez if they're just going to put Jimmy on the IL? Anyways, we kind of saw a few more players called up, I think, than originally anticipated. Yeah. I think. I mean, I think those are two separate things. If they had put Jimmy on the IL, it wouldn't. They'd still, if they believe they need to carry 13 pitchers, they'd still need to add a pitcher. So I'm not sure. Uh, I, I, I don't know the timeline of when they decided that Jimmy's injury situation was worth putting him in on the IL or not, or if it was injury related, but I, I, I doubt that those are necessarily connected things. You know, to get, if they were going to DFA Perez, they know they need two players in return because, I mean, assuming they, this is a move to get Keston here on the roster, you also need that backup shortstop, no matter what happens to Shaw. So they, they knew they needed two position players. I'm confused. So you would think that the, the the question then thinks that Jimmy Nelson would be that other guy that they would take off the roster, so they would drop to twelve to bring those two position players up. 
Well, I think the surprise was that Saladino came up. Oh, yeah. That's that's, that's still a surprise, but this, it makes sense The now. Saladino part. If you would have had Nelson on the IL, Shaw sent down, and you brought up mm, yes. Burns and uh, whatever his name is. Well, they Hira. weren't going to go <laughs> Hira. to You know, how would I remember Kesson Hira's name, right? We don't talk about him that much. Kesson Hira was the other guy. I get it now. So they figured that if they had if they had put Jimmy on the IL one day earlier, they would have been able to save Hernan Perez's roster spot. I don't think it works quite that way. I think they still need a pitcher to replace Nelson, and therefore you still need a position guy to go. And, you know, it, it was – I don't know if – Perez has been around for a while. What was he, the third most tenured player on yeah, the roster right. when he got DFA? Ron and Nelson. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I think – Understanding his profile over the long term, plus basically his failure against lefties when they absolutely needed him. Yeah. You know, that kind of sealed the deal there. Yeah. I mean, they were not going to replace Jimmy Nelson's spot with anything other than a picture because that's not how they run the team. They need a bunch of relievers to run things the way they want to run them. So that's how they get their frequent flyer miles. Yeah, I mean that's it's how they do things and it drives people crazy, but it's it's definitely part of the plan. This Have they not... bought their own plane yet? <laughs> Those dudes in San Antonio I mean, stay in the nice has his own plane. Like major league style, I would imagine yeah. that's a plane they have for the, the guys who are shuttling back and forth. <laughs> yeah. They have it painted on it's the still side. duct taping the prop. Yeah, still a prop plane that they're flying them around in. <laughs> so uh yeah. It, okay, looking at the schedule coming up. Um you know, obviously we're we're recording before the game on Sunday, so we don't know the final of the, the Pittsburgh series. Let's assume the Brewers won. They have to yeah, they must They're, have won. won. It's happened. They must have won. Uh they get to play another four game series against Cincinnati. Yes. Are they gonna get all their games against Cincinnati out of the way right now? Because that's two four game series in a row. I mean they did all of St. Louis in April and early May, so they're done with the Cardinals, right? Like there certainly are no, no more games for them. Yeah, exactly. Um and then they have Pittsburgh before the all-star break, which Love that. Yeah, nothing Great. nothing bad ever happens if that's the schedule. Memories. So. Um, I, I guess what's the outlook for the team right now? Because this is a team in flux, and you're playing a, you, Cincinnati Reds can put up runs. Yeah, and they can pitch too. They've got good pitchers. They're a decent team. I'm yeah. confused what's going on with Cincinnati. They just don't win as many games. It's weird. I think because we talked about the the way that the standings are set right now, that the Brewers are still very much in this. You know, when you think about last year's team. I, last year's team, I, and I said this even in the off season, they there weren't a lot of games that they just they just lost that they really should have won <laughs> that Pittsburgh series before the all-star break, notwithstanding um, they definitely got more. They stole more wins than they had stolen from them. They, a lot went right. And then on top of that, they went on a huge winning streak at the end of the year. If the Brewers went on a, even an eight game winning streak right now, they would be sitting pretty like they would, they would probably have a three game lead in the North in the, I just said almost at the North in the NL, <laughs> in the NL central at that point, it's only going to take a hot streak. They're going to so, be the Kings of the North, the Kings of the North. That's right. Um, so their starting pitching has to get in order for that to happen. And obviously this team doesn't look like a team that can rattle off eight straight wins, but we know they have the talent to do it. And and that's it. That's all it's going to take to, to take control. You know, you got to play well from then on out, but I really think whichever team at this point of the really just the Cubs and Brewers get on a hot streak for any length of time, I think that's your NL Central champ at this point. Yeah, I mean, we still have a long ways to go. We just passed the uh, 81 game mark. I think uh, Saturday night's game was what, game 82? So we're we're over the hump now. We're in the second half of the season, even though the All-Star break is still upcoming. Um, It's going to be interesting to see what I, I do think St. Louis still has a run in them, so I wouldn't completely write them off. I think that they could potentially come back strong as well, though 
like Steve mentioned, they have the pitching problems. So well, but that's it, what's goofy with every team in the NL Central right now is they're all you know tripping over themselves, but they all have a run in them as well. Yeah, like I don't think you look at any of those teams. teams and think they're out of it. The Brewers, Cubs, and Cardinals are all indisputably talented teams, and if you look at like these teams would all be doing well over in the American League and crushing on a bunch of patsies on a nightly basis. Now, granted, the Twins have been really good, but like if you were to swap any of the Cubs, Brewers, Cardinals out for the Twins, I think they would be putting up pretty great records as well because the rest of that division is just absolute trash. Cleveland accepted. But, you know, we'll see. I think that looking at where the Cubs have failed. The Cubs aren't going to continue to do what they've done either. Like they're not going to continue to play poorly over. Hey, they just lost Cole Hamels. Yeah, I did see that They're, but they're still not going to play that poorly. Do you you know why I know that? Because after getting screwed by you Darvish in our fantasy league, I also have Cole Hamels. (laughs) So guess what? You know, I hate the Cubs even see, I'll, I'll push my chips in like on one side and say, okay, I'll bet on the Cubs a little bit here. And that's what they do. They screw me on that. So thanks Cubs. I hate you even more. Uh, real quick before we go, uh, does anybody want to weigh in on the fact that Christian Yelich is competing in the home run derby? Oh, because it's going to destroy a swing and it's going to be a disaster. Just look at Jesus Aguilar last year, right? That that totally went well. You know, we did, uh, I, I looked at it a few years ago when, and, and this has been done over and over and over. It's not even about any one person's work. It doesn't mess with your swing. There's no statistical proof that it does anything at all. And if you have guys who fall off, it's because it's a long season. And in the second half of the season, you fall off. I feel like this isn't even rocket science, but for some reason, this narrative it endures and it drives me crazy. I mean, you've seen, I remember I talked to Andrew McCutcheon a couple of years ago. He was in the home run derby and he homered the first game back right away and had a, had a fine second half of the season. Like it, we don't remember those guys who are awesome. We remember Bobby Abreu falling off a cliff because he had unsustainable home run numbers in the first half, got, uh, had an incredible derby and fell off, you know, well, and that, that is the thing to remember with the home run derby is a lot of the guys who participate have had great first halves, right? Exactly. And it's hard to maintain those it. first halves. It's the all-star curse in a even more specific way right because the all-star curse people say that yeah a guy gets to an all-star game and then they they're they're not hungry anymore and they stop caring and no it's just that if you had a hot first half and were one of the better players chances are good you're going to be cooler in the second half than you were because that's how baseball works because it's a long season and guys go through ups and downs and this is just even more specific with the home run derby like if you were popping a bunch of baseballs out of the park in the first half you know there's a decent chance that you're going to come back to earth in the second half. So yeah, this is a, a non issue. Well, I mean, we've already said like, Oh, you know, Christian Yelich is going to cool off probably this season after the, the monster second half he had last year. And he hadn't really done that. So I'm not going to bet on him to not, you know, at least be a really good hitter in the second half of 2019. I think that's probably a pretty solid bet. I was right. But will he be popping balls out of the park at this rate? Probably not, just because this. Well, race hey, is they, they've changed. They've changed the ball mid-season before, haven't they? <laughs> yes, they have in 2015. Yeah, but I mean, he's not likely to continue to hit on a 60 home run pace for an entire season because people don't do that. Like outside of a few years in the late 90s and early 2000s, nobody's really hit like that. So, no, of course, you shouldn't expect him to continue to, you know, 
continue a 60 home run pace for a full season. That would be insane. What they need to do is give him a day off against the Cubs and see what happens. That was a good time. You know, <laughs> that always brings out the rational in people. Doesn't it? <laughs> I will say this. I used to just get so jacked up over the idea of seeing a Brewers player in the home run derby. And I don't feel that way anymore. And I'm sure that's just because I've seen, you know, I've seen Fielder. I've seen, you know, Ricky Weeks was in it, right? Yeah, <laughs> Weeks was in it. <laughs> I remember when Greg Vaughn took an offer, and I just was crushed by that because, oh, a Brewer was finally in the home run derby. Burnitz, I think, was in it, wasn't he? He was. Saxon in, uh, you know, in, in 02 with the, uh, you know, in Miller Park. And we've seen, obviously, you know, we've seen. I thought Sammy Sosa was the only guy in that home run derby. <laughs> Jason Giambi, man. Oh, yeah. I think Giambi won it, did he not? That's Didn't right. Burnitz almost win it in Fenway in He did. He did. Was and that? then he started the All Star game and hit a double against Pedro Martinez after he struck out the first five dudes. It was incredible. But uh, I love Jeremy Burnitz. Got a, got a little extra fandom in, in me for that guy. But uh, yeah, we saw Jeremy Burnitz hit a home run into the teeth of the wind at Wrigley Field when beautiful. he was a Cub. Was that 20, uh, 2005? Steve? 2005. It was yeah. it was Sheets versus Zambrano, Ooh. and I think it was like a one nothing game. It was this Burnitz low shot. Yeah, you'd be very happy with the the Cubs winning one nothing, wouldn't you? Yes, I. Come on, <laughs> if Burnitz hit the home run, ah <laughs> uh, the uh, the old the old shtick that I'm a big Cubs guy. Um, well, I was gonna say, oh, so Burnitz after he had gotten traded or not traded, he was gonna sign with San Diego or something. I remember there was a comment. Somebody said, well, that park is really big. It's going to you know, drop your home run production. He's like, man, there is no park that can hold me. I'm just going to pound home runs wherever I go. Again, seeing that ball he hit in Wrigley in, <laughs> in like the first week of April. Yeah, there's no park that could hold uh, Jeremy Burnett's home run if you really got a hold of it. So we're going to wrap up on that. Though. Sounds, sounds great. So, uh, JR, thanks for joining us yeah, this it was week. Fun. Again, hey, where can we uh, listen to your podcast? Yep, check it out at jsonline.com, the Brewers Journal Sentinel podcast. But uh, if you are a guy like me who just gets your podcast on the phone, they're all in the same usual spots, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. Each week I chat with Todd Rosiak, Tom Hodgeport. We talk about the Brewers, the state of the Brewers. Usually there's some player interviews, but not this week. This week it's going to be the Milwaukee's Tailgate podcast crossover event. Yeah, so uh, check that out if you want. Uh, or you can just stay subscribed to ours, but... No, I do recommend it. You gotta subscribe to both. You gotta get both sides of this. I do recommend it. It's always good to hear uh, both Harder Court and Rosiak since they're following the team day to day. Uh, It's always a fun interview. And you you get delightful interviews. You get the you get the quick uh, player interviews as well. Yes. So if you want to hear what it sounds like when everybody's taking batting practice, you can hear the ambient noise just flooding into your earbuds. Yes. It's it's a challenge for me a little bit, audio quality wise. We'll say that. Peek behind the curtain. I'm not the best at that, but I'm working on it. I'm working on it. I'm getting better. But yeah, we recommend you check that one out. So, And we also recommend that you join our Patreon by visiting patreon.com slash tailgate. Patrons at the ball and glove level and above will receive the monthly minor league extra podcast. As always, follow us on Twitter at tailgate. You can submit questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or through our Facebook page for Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, Pocket Casts, wherever you listen to podcasts, we should be available. Uh, leave reviews and help people find the podcast. So thanks for listening and look for us again next week on Milwaukee's Tailgate.